When we have the family together, it's always a good time to communicate together. The family in one room, just as you and your families, you gather around that table and you say, hey, where are we going? What are we doing? And so that's what I want to do a little bit this morning, just before we really set the stage and come to the centerpiece of our time, and that is the Lord's Supper. And I can't wait to worship with you as we encounter Christ through the gospel and through the taking of the Lord's Supper this morning. But do you ever uh, have one of those individuals in your family, and I think almost every single one does, that when it comes to cooking or when it comes to grilling out, you know, the Memorial Day weekend really signals the beginning of the, of the grilling season. And there's always someone in the family that comes out to the grill as you're grilling and says what? Hey, can I get a little taste of that? You know who that is? If you know who that is in your family, would you just raise your hand right now? You know who it is. Can I get just a little taste of that? They're in the, they're in the kitchen, you know, the, and they dip into the bowl with their finger. Can I just get a little taste of that? I'm the one in my family, just for the sake of full disclosure. And I just want to give you a little taste of what's to come. And I'm going to try and get through this really quickly because I want to dive into just one paragraph from the book of Ruth this morning that sets up beautifully the Lord's table. What is coming up throughout the summer and the fall? And many of you are going to be scattered throughout the summer months. Your attendance, I know you're going to be gone on vacation with trips and family and all that. So I just wanted to give you a sneak peek of what your staff is working on over the course of the next few months as we enter into the fall, okay? Let me try and do this as quickly as I can. First of all, Summer Spectacular, you see it on the back of your bulletin, is just a couple of weeks. Register for that if you can serve. Register your family, your children. Look for those who aren't followers of Jesus. Bring them. It's just in a couple of weeks so you can see the information there. And our mission here at Taylor's is simply to make disciples. Make disciples as we encounter God, equip believers, and engage the world. So we're going to make disciples on that week we pray with the gospel, engaging people who do not know Jesus, kids who don't know Christ. But then in July, in July, will you pray for your pastor and Jeremy Thompson and James Cartner and Doug Walker, two businessmen here at Taylor's? We are on our way into a brand new step as we head to London, England. Now, what are we doing in London, England? The International Mission Board, which is our denomination, if you're new to the Southern Baptist Convention or you just never heard of the International Mission Board, it is our mission agency has chosen five major cities globally for churches to come and to explore. This is exploring now. We're not all the way in just yet. But to explore and say, would you give your church's collective efforts to reaching a particular city, a city so diverse ethnically, a city with great global influence, a city that has huge impact on the nations. And as we have been praying, led by our global mission team and by Jeremy, we've settled on London. So here we go in July, and we're going to step foot on the ground for the very first time and pray, God, would you collectively use this church to reach this city, to be a part of that? It's just not us, believe me. But then here's what we want to do. We want to expand the reach, your potential reach as professionals and as businessmen and as students, as entrepreneurs, as retirees. Here's our hope when we go to London, that God would perhaps open up a lane for you to go in a way that you've never thought about going before to the ends of the earth. We are so excited about that. And then in August, when we come back, when we come back in August, we'll have our promotion Sunday. The following weekend, 
then we will gather and we will hear from Tim Kimmel. Tim Kimmel is the head of Family Matters, credible communicator of, of um, God's truth when it comes to marriage and parenting. And here's what we're going to do, church. Beginning in August, we're going to begin to weave a thread. One of our values is disciple making. We want to make disciple makers. And we want to begin in the home. And so this fall, as Tim Kimmel comes in and leads a conference, we're going to, you're going to hear more and more about this conference, August 26th and 27th. But then following that, here, here's the trick. The trick is we just don't want it to be a great conference where you and your spouse can come and listen. Every single one of us can use some help on our marriages. Sheree and I have been married over 20 years. We need help. We need fine-tuning. We need that help that comes from the Word of God and from others. So you come join us on that weekend. But here's the trick. It's just not a one-time conference. And on Wednesday evenings for the next eight weeks, we are going to invite couples of all ages to come and gather in small groups in those environments where couples can be together on Wednesday night following our fellowship meal. And they walk together through what it means to, to make disciples of, of one another, a husband and a wife, as we love and care for one another and we grow in Christ together. And then in January, January of 18, we're already looking ahead where we're going to do it all again, but for parenting, for parenting, a conference where we come together and we understand what it means to parent together well, but the same thing on Wednesday nights. And so here's the thread we're going to begin drawing, tracing all the way through August into January 18, and that is we care deeply and passionately about making disciple makers in the home. And as the home goes, so goes the church. And so we care passionately about this to the point where we are ready, ready to see you come and join us in this incredible journey beginning in the fall. Thirdly, in September, Love Taylor's Day. Now, you guys have done this before. We've done this before where we've just dove in and jumped in and loving this community. You know what I love about this church? Already we're seeing pockets here and there and sprinkles here and there where we're diving into our community in, in incredible ways. But we're going to pick one day in September, and we've already checked the football schedule, so all you football folks, just relax, all right? We're way ahead of you on that. We're going to gather together as a church and we're going to dive in. And we're going to show this community that we love them. We don't want anything else in return other than a sense of knowing that God loves them. Amen? And so we're going to do that together. It's going to be fun. Your family, your life group, singles, students, all of us, we're going to have an opportunity to dive in and to serve projects throughout this entire community. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then... Last but certainly not least, in October, if you remember last September, we had Life Transformation Day. Do you remember that right here? We had one baptismal uh, pool down here. We had one up here, and we were running back and forth, and people were getting wet. And the gospel was on display as we baptized on Life Transformation Day. It was an incredible day of worshiping Jesus, but seeing Jesus' work inside people. And so we're praying. We're planning. We're not all the way there yet. But already for October, we got our sights set on another day where the gospel is on display in transforming lives. And so we cannot wait for that. These are just some of the things we're doing. And then later on that week, that's on a Sunday, later on that week as we encounter God together. Right here on Life Transformation Day, fast forward, just a few days later, we're going to go downtown. 
And we're going to have our worship team lead us. We're going to have our folks lead us downtown to worship together in a setting in the amphitheater down there where you can invite folks to come. And as they hear Christ being exalted and as they hear us encountering Christ together, they will say there is something about that place. Amen. And that's what we want to see done in the fall. So thank you for listening. We want to make disciples. We want to engage the world in our community. We want to equip believers, equip parents, equip those families. And we want to encounter Christ together as you've done so well this morning. So I can't wait. As you come back in the fall, it's going to be a great, great time together. Thank you for listening so well. Quickly, the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2 this morning. And here's all I want to try and communicate to you in one simple paragraph as we come to the Lord's table. And I want you to prepare your heart this morning to encounter Christ in a special way. And as we look at this passage here in Ruth chapter 2, we find that the story, if you have missed over the last few weeks or you're brand new here, this is a, a wonderful story we've been walking through for four weeks now. This is week five. And this widow named Naomi has brought her daughter-in-law, another widow from Moab. They've come to Bethlehem. They've come to the nation of Israel, to this land, to Naomi's home. And they've come back empty and desperate. They've come back completely insecure and longing for redemption. And as they've come back, Ruth, we saw last week, takes a first step in taking care of Naomi, a promise that she made to her as Naomi said, I'm headed back home. Ruth, why don't you go back to, to Moab and find a husband and find a future and have a home of your own? And Ruth said, no, 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 I'm going to go with you and I'm going to cling to you. And as they enter into Bethlehem, Ruth takes this first step in caring for this elderly mother-in-law. And she goes out into the field and she begins to do what God makes available for the poor and the vulnerable, for widows, for those who have no land, for those who are one of the lowest classes in all of Israel, who have no means of taking care for themselves, Ruth steps into a field and she begins to work. And she begins to glean off of the reaper's work. So here's what that means. In this huge field of grain and it's harvest season, the reapers would come in and they would with one hand hold the grain and cut with the other hand and then they would, whatever grain was left, they'd bind it up in these bundles. And the poor and the vulnerable, God said to the landowners, listen, you allow them to come behind and you allow them to glean from behind so that they can have something to eat. So that the poor and the vulnerable can find a way to can find a way to exist and to live. And by doing this, you demonstrate the heart of a generous God by the way you treat these individuals. And so here's what Ruth does. She lowers herself. We saw it last week. She lowers herself and she goes and she begins to work and she is noticed by this man named Boaz. Now, Boaz is this strong figure who comes on the scene. He owns this land and he protects her and he provides for her. And he protects her because the men in the field could take advantage of, of Ruth. And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to care for you. He provides for her and says, you know what? I don't want you to go into these other fields. I want you to stay right here. And, and then he provides water for her. He takes care of her. But now we come to a paragraph here which is so, so interesting. Because now Ruth begins to see the full heart of 
of what it means to generously give grace. And it's at a meal. And it, it, meals back in that day aren't meals like today. You know, meals like today when we gather as a family can be so quick, can't they? I mean, think of you going through the drive-thru now. I got my kids in the car, and we go through the drive-thru, and we hand them their food, and we take off. Isn't that how we eat so often? Meals today are simply just to feed our own stomachs, right? I mean, you can go into a gas station now, and you can begin to pump your gas, and you can walk in, and you can find food in there. Now, I know the thought of those little hot dogs spinning on those rollers in some of the gas stations sickens some of you food snobs, but that's okay, right? I mean, meal, meals mean something entirely different to us as Americans. But for them, here's what it meant, especially when it comes to foreigners, an opportunity to show incredible, gracious hospitality. So look at what Boaz does to this woman named Ruth. Follow with me. Ruth chapter 2. We're just going to read one paragraph and walk through it real quickly and come to the Lord's table. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and deep, dip your morsel in the wine. The language here of come here, it's a, it's a word where, a phrase in which Boaz understands that she's off in the distance. So when he says come here, it's kind of like those of you in the back corner, hey, 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 you, come here, come here, come here. She's like, me? Yeah, you, come here. Eat. Dip your, your bread into this wine, this mixture of, of wine and, and vinegar so that the bread wouldn't be so, so dry. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her the roasted grain. So, so he, he calls this outsider in. This is what, this is what the table does. Here, here's what the table of Boaz does. The table of Boaz takes outsiders who feel they don't belong, and he brings them to the table. Ruth was a foreigner. She was a Moabite. The, the Moabites' reputation for, for women, it, it was just it was awful. You, you woman that has this reputation that's not very good, you come. Yes, you come. You're a foreigner, I know, but come on. And you come be a part of this table. Sit, sit here beside the reapers, you know. She, he didn't say, hey, Ruth, come in, and the kitchen's right over there, so you hang out over in the kitchen and, until we get some to-go boxes and we, we hand it to you. Or, hey, Ruth, you come in, and if, if you don't mind, let my workers, let my workers take the seats as they sit in a circle together, but you can stand right over there in the back. And um, when we have, if we have something extra, we'll see to it that you get some. No, it's you come and you take a seat at the table. You come here now and participate of my hospitality. You who are on the outside, you, you come. There, there's common ground at the table. There's common ground at the table. And then he passes her the grain. Now, this is an interesting phrase. We kind of blow right through that phrase. He, he passed her grain. But I didn't know this, and I started reading this week that that, that phrase right there is the, the only time in the New Testament that, that or the Old Testament that that phrase is used. And it's a very strong phrase. And when the Jewish readers read that phrase, or they hear that as they're telling the story, they go, whoa, 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 wait a second. What phrase did you use? You mean Boaz did what? And that phrase means that, that with a strong, strong hand, extraordinarily strong, 
he, he does something exceptional with his hand. And what does he do? He gives her food. He gives her food. And, and, and here at the table, here at the table, an outsider who is vulnerable and needy is invited in. There's common ground there. The head of the table administers it with his own hand. It wasn't proper for a wealthy, influential man to be serving a foreign woman. But he does it. He gives it to her. And look what happens. Look what happens. She, she eats. And she eats until she is satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. And so if you read the next paragraph, and I pray you will, if you read the next paragraph, she goes in and she works. And because Boaz makes provision for her to go out and now not just follow the reapers, but he's saying to them, okay, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull from the sheaves and from the bundles the really good grain, not the grain that falls and they trample on it. She has to pick it up from the ground. Pull the good stuff out. Give it to this woman. Make sure she has provision. If you read the next paragraph, she has up to two weeks out of one day that she brings to Naomi. And Naomi, when she hears what has happened, she says, Blessed be the God who has not forsaken us, but has seen good to be gracious to us through this man named Boaz. And at the table, here's what Ruth finds. As she comes to the table empty, and desperate, but she leaves completely full and satisfied. You know, the table this morning, the table of Boaz, points us beautifully to the table of Christ. The bread and the wine that was there. The bread and the wine that we will partake of this morning. The table reserved for an outsider, the one who is vulnerable, is the gospel that is given to those who do not know Christ in this room and who are listening this morning. The table of Boaz that finds common ground among all people is the common ground that we find as the body of Christ this morning around the table. The table in which the strong hand of Boaz administers his graciousness to us is the very same gospel in which Christ administers his grace to you and me this morning. And we come this morning to the table, empty and desperate, some of you. And we can go away full and be satisfied. Now, here's the thing. Some of you this morning are here and you don't know Christ. And here is my prayer for you. That as we take the Lord's Supper, you'll just simply let the elements go by, not out of a sense of exclusion for you, not out of something personal against you, but out of the integrity of the Scriptures. This is a place in which the gospel is remembered by those who know Christ. And so we simply ask that you would allow it to go by, and then you would pause and think and reflect and say, Christ loves me. This much, he does. He sees your emptiness. He sees your sin. He sees your deepest need. 
And he has met it with his deepest mercy by going to the cross for you and giving his life for your sin and for your guilt, exchanging your life for his. Some of you long for life this morning apart from Christ. May you find it as you reflect on him. But this morning as Scott and Kevin come and prepare to lead us as we dive into the Lord's Supper. The gospel is just not meant for those who have already been saved. Here, church, are you listening? Just hang on one second. Listen. The gospel is not just meant for those who are already saved. The gospel is meant to sustain and satisfy those who are followers of Jesus but are now empty and desperate. Do you understand that? gospel just isn't a one-time event. The gospel is your life. The gospel meets you in your sin this morning and in your emptiness and in your hurt. Followers of Jesus, we're not exempt from sin. We're not exempt from the hurt. We're not exempt from our stubbornness. We're not exempt from our hard-heartedness. This morning, some of you come to the table empty. Some of you come to the table because you're empty physically. You're empty emotionally. You're empty spiritually this morning. Some of you are empty this morning because you you have been abandoned or forsaken. You have been betrayed. Some of you are longing this morning, a hole in your heart and you're empty because you're insecure and you're longing to know what's ahead. Some of you this morning are empty because of a marriage or because of a relationship that for all of your might, it cannot work. And Jesus invites you to the table this morning filled and to be satisfied with him. Some of you are desperate like Ruth. Desperate for a heart that has control of things. Desperate to defend yourself. Desperate to have your way. Some of you this morning, your hearts are desperately hardened. My heart hurts for you. And it affects your marriage. It affects your home. And it affects this church. And all I can do is offer you this morning the gospel. To look at the one who died for you and gave his whole life to bring you to the table. And what would your story be this morning if you came to the table and Jesus looked at you and he said, tell me what's inside. And no matter what it is, you're met with this. I died for that. I rose for that. I've given you power and new life for that. Will you confess this morning?
know, we have a value here. It's called expectant worship. Here's what we say when we come to the Lord's table, when we come to worship together, we pray that we'll confess and submit and respond to Christ. So I'm just going to step down and we're going to, the deacons, if you'll come now and you just stand there in front of the table there and be ready to go, the deacons are going to serve us. As soon as I pray, they're going to go, and the time is yours for us to sing. But it might be a time not for you to sing, but to bow your head and simply respond to him. As if Christ were across the table saying, tell me. I died for that. You tell him. And you confess your sin. And you give your life to him. praise for what he's done. Father, this morning, for the blood that was shed and the body that was broken for our sin. Lord, we simply ask that you take your church, your people, here they are, and they come to the table, and I long, I pray this morning, I long, Father, for your power and your presence to be transforming this morning and may people be changed by Christ in whose name we pray.